In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Again, welcome everybody. So nice to see a very full church. Uh, am, I, am, I, uh, am I mic'd? Can you hear me? Are we good? Um, and welcome on this very special day for these four people. It is, an, it is an honor to be invited to preach today, and you're supposed to say that, but it really is an honor. After 28 years of ordained ministry myself, I've never preached an ordination sermon, so here's hoping for beginner's luck today. So <laughs> what I do know is that ordination sermons tend to be long, so you can at least count on this sermon to be short. Um, it has been 28 years, but I vividly remember standing exactly where Maria and Blake and Kilpie and Sam are standing right now. And the four of you have blessedly arrived at the end of what we used to call the process. And the process for the uninitiated is what you go through from the time that you think, hey, I think I might want to go to seminary and be a minister to today's service, which is the ordination of priests in the Episcopal Diocese of Virginia. And usually that process takes about five years, um, sometimes a little bit shorter, uh, other times longer. The people at the Diocese of Virginia, a.k.a. those who are in charge of your fate, <laughs> will tell you that the diocese, uh, that the process is a friendly and collaborative experience with everybody rooting for each other. <laughs> Neil's laughing, so... I think that's actually true, but it experientially it doesn't feel that way when you're being interviewed, you're being evaluated, you're being psychologically tested, your marriage goes through psychological testing, you're being academically challenged at seminary, you're given all kinds of um, support committees at various church internships. <laughs> and I'm also not saying there's a better way to, to do it. I served for five years uh, in this diocese on the Commission on priesthood, so I've been one of those ones in charge of people's fates. All I'm saying is that each step feels like a gauntlet that must be survived, um, almost like a reality TV show. Uh, and uh, I know that I certainly marveled at each green light that I received when I was going through the process. My best friend Drew Rollins and I went through the process together in the early 1990s. And had you known Drew or me in high school, right at Douglas Freeman right over there, um, your first thought would not have been, hey, those guys would make outstanding Episcopal ministers. <laughs> uh, after each hurdle successfully completed, <laughs> Drew and I in our uh, maturity would look at each other and say, the system doesn't work, the system doesn't work. How exactly did the likes of us get through to the next round? I have an inkling that the four people who will be ordained in just a moment know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, it's well known that we all know what I'm talking about uh, in your own realm. Every single person here does as well. The feeling of being an imposter um, is as common as the common cold. That's, that's a well-known fact. When Jodie Foster won an Oscar... She said this, I thought it was a fluke. I thought everybody would find out and they'd take it back. They'd come to my house knocking on my door. Excuse me, we meant to give that to somebody else. That was going to Meryl Streep. <laughs> but here's, in fact, what Meryl Streep said. Um, you think, why would anybody want to see me again in a movie? 
and I don't know how to act anyway. So why am I doing this? Now, I'm assuming that's exactly how the prophet Isaiah feels in our Old Testament lesson that we just heard this morning. Talk about a gauntlet. He sees God himself on his throne, angels attending him, yet hiding their faces for his glory, afraid to gaze upon the glory of the Lord lest they die. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Thresholds shake. House fills with smoke. Isaiah is sure he's a goner. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. There's nothing friendly or collaborative about this dramatic scene. Now, what happens next in that reading is why the four of you are sitting here today at the end of the process. Truth be told, it's why we're all here. It's, it's deeper truth be told. It's the very reason that this church of ours exists. This is what the, the scripture says. The one, then one seraph flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. Your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. Why have I said that over and over again? Your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. Because that is what the church says. That is the unique message of the church of Jesus Christ. It is what you say. It is what... You will say, not just three times, those being ordained, or seven times, or seven times, 70 times, but every time you climb into a church pulpit, every time you sit at a deathbed, every time you baptize a baby, every time you marry a couple, every time you cancel the troubled, every time you lead a vestry meeting, every time you help at a soup kitchen, every time you attend a diocesan convention, every time you speak to your neighbor or your spouse or your mother or your son every time you talk to your enemy, every time you crawl out of your bed and look in the mirror, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. And of course, it is what you will say tomorrow when you stand in front of your congregations when all who, by the way, congregations are nothing more than patients in need of the hospital of grace. When you say the absolution, which, by the way, is one of the superpowers conferred upon you, uh, when Mark, for his first time, Bishop Stevenson puts his hands on your head and makes you priests, your guilt has departed, people. Your sin is blotted out. The seraph took the burning coal. The seraph did not touch the coal to Isaiah's head, nor to Isaiah's hands, nor to Isaiah's feet, not even to Isaiah's heart. The seraph took the coal, and he touched the burning coal to Isaiah's lips. Why? His lips, so that the prophet would speak the word, which, by the way, is the capital W word, the word made flesh, who has dwelt among us. 
For the burning coal, you see, friends, is none other than the blood of Jesus Christ, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. As you will say over and over and over and over again, each Sunday as you preside at communion, that God did give His thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there by His one oblation of Himself once offered. His words are so rich, people, in our prayer book. A full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice. Oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. If you're Forgiven and absolved lips, do not say that and do not believe that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then it would be better to say nothing at all. For that is what the church and only the church can uniquely say to the world in need of absolution and hope. So in the end, you actually are not an imposter, are you? Because anybody can tell that news. Because we're all chuckleheads who've been forgiven despite ourselves. We're all in the same boat. The whole system, (laughs) the whole system of deserving and merit has been completely obliterated by Christ's blood. The system never worked anyway. If it did, it would have worked when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. The system was obliterated on the cross. Moreover, and I'll close, the whole thing has nothing to do with you at all. For it has everything to do with Christ and Him crucified. As Paul says, I I am determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified among you. It's as if God is saying, to quote the famous Seinfeld episode, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) And I will close with a motto of the Cartesian monks whose order was founded a thousand years ago. It's a motto for the ages. And by that I mean every age and everywhere and will be forever. The Latin is stat crux dum volvitur orbis, and it means this. The cross is steady while the world turns. The cross is steady while the world turns. The cross is steady. The world turns. Your worlds will turn. The cross of Jesus Christ is once and always your anchor. And so may the words of our mouths from the laity to the diaconate to the presbyters to the episcopi see. Be ever ready with your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Amen.